But yeah, welcome to church. If you are new today, or maybe this is your second or third time, we just want to say welcome. Thanks for coming and being with us and taking time out of your busy weekend to just spend some time with us. And I'm, I'm thankful to be continuing the Kingdom Builder series today. And the series in our new missions initiative by the same name was birthed at the end of 2021 in this time of prayer and seeking God for 2022. I desperately wanted vision for this year, and I felt like the Lord spoke really strongly to my heart and said, I want you to step it up in terms of generosity. I want you to lead the church in this, and I didn't really know how, but that kind of brought a journey of coming to Kingdom Builders, and from the very beginning, we called ourselves Sent Church because we never wanted to forget that Jesus himself has sent us. He sent every disciple, but he sent us on the most important mission that the world has ever seen. We're not a social club. We're not just a place for Christians to gather. That's not our heart. Instead, we are a movement that is set on fire by the love and passion of God and sent out to help our friends become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's what we want to be. And one of the ways we're doing this now is rolling out this Kingdom Builders Initiative. And this fund is where we will give above and beyond our tithe to support global missions, local church expansion, and future Christian leaders. And we're uh, continuing to take 10% out of every dollar that's given to the general fund and giving it towards missions. But then we're also asking you to give above and beyond your tithe uh, so that we can make a bigger impact in 2022. And we want to raise $40,000. So if you want information on Kingdom Builders, what we're doing, and we all the projects are in this booklet, so I encourage you to grab that in the lobby. It kind of walks you through how Kingdom Builders works, what we're doing, and it'll give you a really good explanation of it. But I don't have time to completely unpack it again today, but the heart is that we're going to give above and beyond to missions. And, and it's been amazing. We've already seen God do incredible things since we launched this two weeks ago. Okay, so here's some stories. Just a few days ago, uh, I was made aware that a freshman Chi Alpha student who already gives her tithe every month, she gave above and beyond to Kingdom Builders. She gave almost $1,000 to Kingdom Builders. Come on. Come on, somebody. That's 140th of the Kingdom Builders Fund given by a freshman student. And then a couple days after that, are you ready for this one? I found out that a sophomore Chi Alpha student gave $3,000 on top of her tithe. Come on, somebody. That's $4,000 from a freshman and a sophomore. Come on. That's what God is doing already through Kingdom Builders. That is 10% of Kingdom Builders already taken care of through a 19 and a 20-year-old. Come on, somebody. That is how God works. He uses the, most, or the least likely people to do amazing things. So I'm really, really excited about what God's doing in Kingdom Builders. So next week, we have Jonathan Bartholow coming to share with us. And he's really uh, the one who kind of pushed me towards doing Kingdom Builders. He's going to share about his church's journey and I told him what's happened already, and he's like, man, that is insane. That's not normal for that to happen within the first two weeks. So I'm really excited about what God's doing. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a test that we all must pass if we're going to become kingdom builders like these two students are. Okay, so the title of the sermon is The Kingdom Builders Test, and I'm going to be relying heavily on Robert Morris. We did that last week. We're doing it again this week in his Blessed Life sermon series, more of the sermon series than the book. And typically, my sermons are original, but honestly, for this topic, a topic as important as generosity, I wanted to lean on someone who's a proven teacher. So if you don't like anything I say, you can blame him. Send him an email, not me. I will just forward it on to Robert Morris, okay? I'm just playing. You can criticize me if you want, but it's not nice. All right, anyways, I believe in this message, and I believe it's going to help you greatly. As I talk about money today, just know that we're not teaching on this because we want your money, okay? We don't want something from you. We want something for you. Just as Jesus taught extensively on money, we will too 
as money is connected to our hearts. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we're going to help you follow Jesus, we have to teach on this topic, although I don't particularly enjoy teaching on it, okay? So it's not like I'm having more fun than you up here. And just know that if you never give a dollar to Scent Church, we would love you and serve you just the same. Nothing changes based upon your donations or lack thereof, okay? All right, let's pray before we jump in. Jesus, uh, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for every heart that's here. God, I thank you for the kingdom builders that are rising up in this place. I thank you that 10%, actually above 10% of kingdom builders is already taken care of through the generosity of people. God, you are so good. Two weeks in, you are just blowing our minds. And I pray that you continue to blow our minds. And I just want to pray in faith that that you'd help us to raise $80,000 instead of 40000 Come on, you can do it. God, we pray that you would exceed our expectations. I pray that just like last year, you, or when you showed us that, that you could raise the money for this building, I pray that you would do it again through Kingdom Builders. So God, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so when I was in school, I was obsessed with getting good grades. It was definitely an idol in my life. I'd never missed a homework assignment, never. And I always studied for tests. I don't think I ever didn't study for a test. If my parents or my siblings would try to bother me on the night before a test, I was pretty angry. I was not very nice about it. I was like, get out of my room. I'm studying for this test. We'd be out to eat, having fun. I'd say, I got to get home because I got to study for my test. And by the time I got to the test, I was typically as prepared as you could be and was hardly surprised by what was on it. I've been out of college for years now, but I still have this reoccurring dream that I forgot to study for a test and botched it. There's one dream specifically. I have this dream over and over again. It is my greatest nightmare. It's where I'm enrolled in a biology class. Science was probably my least favorite subject, so I'm enrolled in a biology class, and I never show up to class. I forget about it, and then I get an F at the end of the semester. That is a nightmare to me. I wake up in a cold sweat. It typically ends with me in the professor's office saying, please, please let me drop this class or something. It's really a nightmare, but I always thank Jesus when I wake up and say, oh, it's only a dream, and I'm not in school anymore. Praise God. All right, did you know that in our journey with Jesus, we have tests? Okay, there's tests that he will give us. I couldn't I can remember several times in my journey with him where he tested me in my heart. And he often does this by asking me to do something that I don't want to do or by asking me to persevere through a difficult season. In both the Old and New Testaments, in the Hebrew and the Greek, the words translated test mean to prove by trial. Okay, so when God tests us, he, his purpose is to prove that our faith is real. Okay, these tests, they refine and purify our faith. And sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes I pass the test and sometimes I haven't. I've found that if I, if I fail the test, they'll often let me retake it, thankfully. And if I pass the next time, it typically leads to breakthrough. As I prove myself to be faithful with the little things, he begins to trust me with more. But he won't trust me with more until I prove myself to be faithful with the little things. And, and this principle is found in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Uh, the master gives more to those who can be trusted with the little and takes from those who can't be trusted. Testing is a normal part of the Christian life. It's just part of the journey. And there is one test that the Lord has tested all believers with since the very beginning. And, and many believers don't know about this test, but we actually take it every single time we get paid. Okay, so let's do a survey here. Who gets paid once a month? Okay, once a month. You get paid one time a month. And who gets paid once every two weeks or twice a month? And then who gets paid weekly? And who never gets paid? I'm just kidding. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> Every time you get paid or get any sort of income, you're going to take a test. And the test is, who will you thank for your income? Are you going to thank God and worship him by giving him your tithe or your first 10%? Or 
or will you thank someone else or worship something else? That's the test. And this test was not come up by or come up with by me or by a pastor or a preacher. You need to know that. But God came up with the test. And this test was before the law. It was obviously during the law. And it's also in the New Testament. And the reason I have to say this is most people who don't tithe don't not do it because they're bad people. They just simply believe that it was only under the Old Testament or under the law. There are many principles that were under the law that we should still be doing now, right? Okay, we'll talk about that more later. But on top of this, tithing is not just a law thing anyways. It's all over the Bible. And I want to show you that tithing is all throughout Scripture. And it's, it's in Genesis. It's all the way in the New Testament. But we're going to start our journey in Malachi chapter 3. This is kind of like the hinge passage. So if you would turn there, it's right before the New Testament. It's Malachi chapter 3. So two weeks ago, when we looked at the book of Nehemiah, we talked about how Israel returned from the exile and got to rebuild their temple and how Nehemiah stepped up and built the walls of Jerusalem. And Malachi is written around the same time that that book was written, okay? Same setting, same things going on. It's about 100 years after the exile and the temple had been rebuilt, but things were not going well. And when they returned from the exile, they had all these dreams about what life would be like in their homeland again. They were hoping to see God's ancient prophetic promises come true. They were hoping to see the Messiah come who would set up a kingdom on earth. But sadly, these dreams were not coming to pass. They were just as unfaithful as their ancestors were. And Malachi, really, it contains a series of rebukes of Israel. God's like, you're doing it wrong. You need to change. So God rebukes them for not giving their best offerings. He rebukes them for serving other gods. He rebukes them for, for flippantly jumping into divorce. Their hearts were hard, and God is determined to try to soften them. In chapter 3, God calls them to return to him, and the Israelites respond by asking him, how? How can we return to you? And he tells them, you return to me by practicing the tithe. He calls them to pass the test of tithing. I'm going to unpack this as we read. Typically, I'll read through the whole thing and then talk about it, but I'm going to go slowly through this. Okay, so it's Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. It starts out with this. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change. I just want to clarify, can the Lord change? No. Okay, it's right there in the text. That's a right there answer, guys. Come on. His character and his personhood cannot change. That's important. God doesn't morph over time. He doesn't evolve. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Okay, so what's the Lord saying? He's saying, I don't change, and that's why you're not dead yet. I was loving before, and I'm loving now. Again, that's why I haven't punished you or killed you. So verse 7, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, or other translations will say ordinance there, and have not kept them. Okay, so again, Statutes can also be ordinance, and an ordinance is an ordinary principle of behavior. Okay? They are guiding principles for God's people. They are God's ideal way of living. So he's saying you have turned aside from the ordinary principles of behavior for God's people. You have not kept them. And then he says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And if you want to, you can underline, says the Lord of hosts, Okay, because this is God that's talking. Again, this is not a preacher. This is God who cannot change that is talking here. It says this. It says, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? In other words, they're asking God, they're saying, how do we get back to being the people that you've called us to be? They're 
begging God. They're saying, what do we gotta do to get out of all this trouble we're in? How can we return to you? And then God responds, will man rob God? And yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? Okay, for us, that'd be tithe and like kingdom builders, right? Your tithe and your contributions. Again, a preacher did not make this up. God is saying, you come back to me by tithing. And because you're not tithing, you are robbing me. And you're not living according to my design. And, and you should always thank me for your income because without me, you would not have any income, right? I gave you that income. That's mine anyways. You're supposed to give that back to me. When we get to a place where we stop honoring God with the tithe or with our income, we get to a dangerous place. Choosing to tithe is a way to show God that you're serious about obeying him and thanking him and putting him first. Verse 9. He says, you are cursed with a curse. Whew, that's fun. Because Jesus took on the curse for our sins, we don't get cursed when we forget to tithe or don't tithe anymore. Okay, so hear me on that. Jesus took on the curse. Praise God. With Jesus, there's always potential for forgiveness. There's always potential for restoration. That is good news this morning. But we need to remember we still live in a cursed world. And when we do things that are out of step with God's design, when we do those things that God doesn't want us to do. We're choosing to bring ourselves back under the cursed way of living or the cursed system. There are negative consequences to sin. I think we all know that. There's negative consequences to sin in this world. There's a law of sowing and reaping, and salvation does not change that. We reap what we sow on this earth. For example, if we steal, there's going to be consequences, right? There's going to be a consequence. And in this passage, is suggesting that we're stealing from God when we don't tithe. So what kind of consequences could that have? The biggest consequence will be something that happens in your heart. Jesus said again, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so not trusting and thanking God for our income will reap negative spiritual consequences. It creates a spiritual stronghold that chokes intimacy with God as we're not trusting him, we're not truly obeying him. But it doesn't just do that. When we don't honor God with the tithe, then we also aren't allowing God to, or to lead us in our finances. We're not allowing him to bless our finances. For that to happen, we have to bring them under his leadership. I don't teach on the tithe because God needs your money. I don't teach on it because the church needs your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and I'm being completely honest when I say this. In all my ministry years, God has never failed to provide for the ministry I've been a part of. He just never has. We always have enough. We always have more than enough. God's never failed to provide. That's not why we're teaching on this. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I'm going to keep saying that. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. I want you to be blessed. I really want that for your life. And I don't want you to live under the cursed system by trying to do things your own way. Because, you know, we're not smarter than God. And I just really want our whole church to truly obey God in every area, not just the easy areas. All right, verse 9 again. For you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Okay, so he uses this word rob again. There's a difference between robbing and stealing. Okay, so stealing is just taking something from someone else. Maybe you sneak behind their back and you take it. But robbery is taking something directly from them by force. God is saying, you've come into my house and taken money from my pockets. He's saying, you've robbed me because I've set that aside for my house. Okay, verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The storehouse was the, t or was the temple treasury. And some people debate about what the storehouse is today as we don't have a temple anymore. You know, many people are genuinely confused about this. And we wonder, can I bring my tithe to places other than my church home? Can I do that? 
There's debate about that, but I don't think that's God's best or what God has designed. I think that to stay in step with what God set up and to truly live the blessed life, we should bring it to the obvious equivalent to the storehouse, which is the local church. This is a principle that I personally, so I'm not telling you to do something I haven't done. I personally have practiced this since I was a kid. For, for me, I've always just thought two things. First, I want to be obedient to God, and the storehouse seems to me to be the local church. And second, I want to sow into the place that's sowing into me. It just never felt right to not sow into the place that's, that's pouring into me. So the local church has made and continues to make a huge difference in my life, right? This church would not have been able to be planted without other local churches partnering with us. Like the local church is incredible, and I want to be behind the local church. I want to invest my life and my resources there. I strongly believe that the local church is the modern storehouse. Just as the temple was the center of Israel's worship and responsible for connecting people to God, God has given us the local church to be the place where God's people come together and worship and they grow together. It's the institution that's responsible for equipping and feeding God's people spiritually just as the temple was in the Old Testament. And I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about a people that come together as the local church, as the body of Christ. It's it's within the context of the local church that God has planned to reach the world. Although the church has flaws, you don't have to remind me, I know the church has flaws. Although that's true, the church was God's plan A, and he does not have a plan B. We are the city on a hill, the body of Christ, the household of God, the citizens of heaven, God's treasured possession. If you read the New Testament, you see that God's kingdom went forth and was built throughout the world through missionaries being sent by local churches into other communities, leading people to Christ, and then forming those people into a church community, setting up elders, and then leaving. That's how the kingdom of God has went forth since the beginning of time. This is how God has planned to reach the world from the beginning, through planting local churches, hence why I wanted to plant one. I love the local church. Okay, Matthew 16, 18 says this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia, my my gathering of called out ones. I, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell cannot prevail against God's local church. It cannot. Okay, so now obviously there's a place for parachurch ministries. There's a place for kingdom initiatives that partner with the local church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I believe we should give above and beyond our tithe to those things. That's what we're doing. Look at our Kingdom Builders booklet. We're giving a lot of money. Based on our budget, we're giving a lot of money away to these other types of organizations. I believe in that. That's why we're doing Kingdom Builders, and we should do that on top of our tithe. But they shouldn't be the place we bring our tithe to. I believe that belongs to the storehouse, to the local church. Does that make sense at all? Am Am I just crazy? Okay, well, if I'm crazy, you're not going to tell me probably anyways. But all right, so we should bring our tithe to our storehouse, the local church we call home, and that's wherever that may be, okay? So if Scent Church is not your church home, please don't bring your tithe here. I don't want it. Don't bring it here. Bring it to your local church. If you're new today, please don't feel like we're asking you to tithe. We're not asking you to do that today. Bring it to your local church, the place that is responsible for equipping and feeding you spiritually. And as Malachi says, this is important. If we want there to be spiritual food, okay, he's talking about real food, but, but spiritual food in our church, we need to be faithful with our tithe. As we tithe, our house will flourish and we'll be able to do more. And through our tithe, we can hire staff, right? We can bless the community. I have so many dreams for outreaches to the Cedar Valley, but some of them are beyond our resources right now, right? As we do this, we can do more. As we take care of our house, we'll be able to better disciple our people. I'm really excited. God gave me some vision for how to disciple our church during quarantine. I got some stuff to share with you in the coming months about how we're going to do that, but it takes, it takes resources to do it. 
there's a direct correlation between committing to the tithe and having spiritual food in our house. And I'm not preaching this because we're struggling in this area. Our giving, this is insane, our giving has increased by 33% since last summer, right? That's amazing. And really in the last couple of months, it's been more so in the last few months. God is doing something amazing right now. Can we praise God for that? That is good news. Come on, let's praise God. Come on, 33% has increased. That's good news, right? You are stepping up. This isn't something where I'm like, hey, you're not doing this, start doing it. You've been doing this. I'm encouraging you to keep doing it if you're not to jump on board. But God is moving in our church. Like, our church has not grown by 33% since last summer, right? That many more people haven't started giving necessarily, just we're giving more. We are, are beginning to step up in this area. And God is taking care of us. He is doing that. So this message is not being preached as a response to poverty or difficulty as a church. It's being preached in the midst of breakthrough. And I believe that that breakthrough would have continued without this message. I don't believe this message is the key to that breakthrough continuing. God's already doing it. It's not gonna be stopped in Jesus' name. I'm preaching this message even in the midst of breakthrough because I want more for us. I want us to be able to experience the blessing of tithing. I'm talking about you personally, not the local church. I'm talking about you personally. I want you to experience the blessing of tithing. And also, I do want us to be prepared for what's coming. God is going to take us to another level as a church in 2022, in 2023. He's got some stuff for us. The Lord is just downloading vision into my heart. Again, vision beyond our resources at this point. There are so many huge dreams. I believe that this next year, we're gonna go deeper with the Lord as a body, I believe we're gonna reach so many more of our friends this next year, and I believe the Holy Spirit Conference is a big part of that. Are you ready for the Holy Spirit Conference this next weekend? You better be ready, because Pastor Drew is ready. He's been praying, it's all fresh messages. He's gotten them all from the Lord. He's been seeking God. He's got a ton of sermons he could pull out, but he has written fresh, or, or brand new messages for our church. Plus, he's bringing his friend from Pakistan. Okay, so this guy is from Pakistan. He's a part of the persecuted church. He has come over to Iowa, and he's gonna be a part of a Holy Spirit conference with Pastor Drew. Okay, so a guy who's really living it on the front lines. It is gonna be a powerful weekend. I believe the Holy Spirit conference is a big part of this. I believe that what's coming up is better than what's behind us. It's not even close. And I believe that our hearts need to be ready. And for some of you, hear me on this. I know this is true. For some of you, the last hold on your heart is tithing. You have not obeyed God yet in that area. You've obeyed God in a lot of other areas. But for some reason, you're like, I'm gonna keep this. Like maybe you give a little bit. Like you're like, I'm gonna give like 3%. No, God wants your 10%. He wants you to obey him in that. Obviously, sometimes it takes a little time, but I wanna encourage you to step out of the boat. This might be the last stronghold on your heart, and I want us to be prepared for what's coming. But for us to be prepared spiritually for what's coming, we need to obey God in every area. Every person that calls sent church home needs to be obedient to God, and it really does start with the tithe. I encourage you to do that and, and see what happens. When you release that, I believe you're going to see breakthrough in your heart primarily, but also in your finances and in your life. I want you to experience the blessing of investing in your storehouse, and I do want the storehouse to be more blessed, obviously, right? There's something supernatural that happens when we do that, both in our own hearts and in our local church. And if you didn't know, we are a new church, okay, so if you didn't know that, there you go. We started in the fall of 2020, and because of that, we have been partially funded by other churches. One of those was the church that Amber talked about. And these are churches who believe in what we're doing. And when churches are planted, typically they're planted through other churches investing in those churches for a period of time. Our partners have made it possible for us to do what we're doing, and I'm deeply, deeply grateful for them. But I'm really excited about the day when they're not going to need to invest in us anymore. If all goes to plan, if our giving can go up by another 33%, then we'll be able to be completely autonomous and cut them all loose, and we won't rely on their investment anymore. 
I want to free them up to be able to invest in other kingdom initiatives and take us out of their kingdom builders booklets, right? I want to be taken out of the kingdom builder booklet. Instead, I want us to be given to kingdom builders only and for them to be able to give to other places. That's uh, the beautiful thing that's going to happen when we all begin to tithe. I believe if we all can pass the test of tithing, that's just going to come very quickly. All right, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so tithing is not just a way to test you, but it's a way to test God, okay? It's a two-way test, and this is the only time we're commanded to test God in the entire Bible. And the word for test, it comes from the word that's used for testing metal to see if it's pure. God is saying, test me to see if I'm pure in this area. Okay, bring 10% to the house of God and see if I'm pure. This is the only place in the Bible, again, where we're commanded to test God, and watch what happens when we do. Again, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until what? Until there's no more need. I will, I will rebuke the devourer for you. Do you want God to rebuke the devourer in your life financially and spiritually? If you don't want that, then I don't know what you're doing here, right? <laughs> we want that, right? We want God to rebuke the devourer. And so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, so when we tithe, God rebukes the devil, and he blesses our resources. With all that said, the biggest pushback I get against the tithe is that's an Old Testament thing that's not for today. I believe it'd be so much easier if Malachi was moved like three pages over, because it'd be in the New Testament. I'd be like, hey, it's in the New Testament, right? It's easy. But Robert Morrison, his sermon on this, he said he thinks that God put it in the Old Testament, or put this passage uh, specifically, the best passage on it, in the Old Testament on purpose. And he, and he thinks that because of this. He believes that, again, tithing is a test, right? It being in the Old Testament, this passage being in the Old Testament makes it where it's more of a test for you. If it was right in the New Testament, I, I hope you would just do it, right? But it's in the Old Testament, and I believe that's because it's a test, okay? So tithing is a test. That's the first point this morning. And the word tithe, again, means a tenth. I think we've, we talked about that. And Robert teaches that the number 10 represents testing in Scripture. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I want you to answer out loud. How many plagues were there in Egypt? 10? Okay, thank you. God tested Pharaoh's heart 10 times. How many commandments are there? 10. Good job. You're doing good. There's a pattern here. Okay, so bear with me. How many times did Israel test God in the wilderness? 10. Some of you are like, I don't know that one, but I'm going to say 10. Yes, it was 10. <laughs> and that's in Numbers chapter 14. Okay, how many times were Jacob's wages changed? 10, again, you're like, I have no clue, but we're gonna say 10. How many days was Daniel tested? How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? How many days of testing, come on, be confident, how many days of testing were mentioned in Revelation chapter two? How many disciples were there? Oh, come on, I got you there, there's 12, all right. <laughs> but tithing is a way that God tests us. Just as it's a way we can test God, as Malachi says. Aaron, you're supposed to be an intern, bro. Come on, man. That's like intern class 101 right there. How many disciples were there? All right. Oh, I love you, man. All right. So, <laughs> so again, tithing is a way that God tests us. Okay, but many people, again, they, I've said this, but they say that that's Old Testament. That's under the law. Because we're under grace, because we're under grace, we don't need to give God 10% anymore. That's just a legalistic thing to do. We don't need to pass this test anymore. And there are so many things wrong with that line of thinking. There's so many things wrong. I want to ask you just one question. What do you think is the spirit behind that line of thinking? 
Like, I don't want to give God 10%. Like, like, that's not from the Lord, but, but there's some, some clear things that kind of push that line of thinking back. So the first thing is, although Jesus did fulfill parts of the law, like the food laws and, and the ceremonial laws, there are many commandments that still apply today, right? There are many principles that, that still apply today. I want to show you just how silly this is. Okay, this idea that tithing's not for today because it was in the law. Derek, can you give me your wallet, please? Hurry, hurry, come on. All right, I'm going to keep that because stealing's in the Old Testament. It's in the law, okay? Like that, like, that makes no sense, right? Like, stealing was bad then, and stealing is bad now. And how much money you got in here? I don't know how this works. Ooh, they think that hundo from last week's in here. I'm going to keep that. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Here. There you go. Look at that. That's brothers right there. But, uh, yeah, it's silly, right? Like, stealing was bad then. It's bad now. Tithing was good then, and it's good now. To say that we shouldn't honor God with at least 10% of our income is just or just silly, especially when you read the New Testament. Okay, in the New Testament, Jesus did not lower the bar on holiness. He didn't say, hey, you know, because you're under grace, you can steal a little bit now. No, 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 no. He raised the bar. Like, he talks about anger. He says, you know, they said don't be, or don't murder, but I say to you, don't even be angry, because if you are angry at someone, you're committing murder in your heart, right? Jesus, he raises the bar. Because he has changed our hearts, we're supposed to give him everything. We're supposed to put 100% under his leadership and say, God, how much can we keep? That's what we should be doing. It says this in Luke 14, 33. It says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Okay, there are many texts that are similar to this one where Jesus calls us to give up our lives to follow him. And the call of Jesus is that, is that when we come to follow him, that we give up everything. And we're no longer the owners of our lives anymore. Instead, we are simply stewards. That's important. Stewards, not owners. Everything we have is God's. If you want to make the argument that tithing is an Old Testament thing, I'd say you're probably right, because I think 10% is too low. If you look at the New Testament, 10% is too low. I believe that's only a minimum standard in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, the people brought everything to the church. And just so you know, I don't want you to bring everything to the church. I don't want to have to distribute all that out and see how that works out. That would take a lot of manpower to do that. But that's what they did in the book of Acts. They'd bring everything to the apostles' feet, and then they would distribute it. I believe the least we can do is 10%. But even with that said, I do want to show you that tithing is biblical, not just under the law. It came before the law, and it's, it's or still a principle for us to follow today. So the second point is tithing is biblical. Okay, A lot of people just don't think it's biblical or that it's for today. They think there's one reference in Malachi 3, and that's it. But I want to show you a few of these other references. The word tithe is used in the Bible 41 times. Over half of those times are, are not in the law. Eight of them are in the New Testament, and one of them is from Jesus himself. So let's look at Genesis 14, the first instance of this, verse 18. This is 500 years before the law. Okay, so not a law thing. It's 500 years before the law. It says this, In Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram did what? He gave him a tithe or a tenth of everything. Okay, Galatians tells us that Abraham is our spiritual father, and Hebrews tells us that, that Melchizedek is a type or a representative of Christ. He's either Jesus himself or a representative of Jesus. He this is 500 years before the law. The father of our faith is giving a tithe to a representative of Jesus. This idea that, that we should give God the first 10% is an ordinary principle for all of time. It's not bound to the law. Long before the law, our spiritual father was giving 10% to Jesus. 
Okay, let's look at another example. 400 years before the law, after Jacob encounters the Lord in a dream, he sets up an altar and he says this, In this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, everything you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Okay, that's 400 years before the law. Let's do a couple from the law. It says this in Leviticus chapter 27. It says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. It's not yours. It's holy to the Lord. Okay, so whatever increase or income we get, no matter what that income is, any type of income that comes to us, we should give the first 10% to God. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1 and 2, it says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, then you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you, have, or which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. Okay, so obviously we're not in a physical promised land today, but we have come to the promised land of life with Jesus Christ. Okay, we are living in the inheritance of salvation. If Israel responded to being given a physical land by giving God the first of their income, then the least we can do is honor God with the first of our income as a response to salvation. Can I get an amen, somebody? Come on. That's good stuff right there. We should be able to give God that in trust and in faith. And watch where you're supposed to take the tithe. It says, take it to the place that he will choose to make his name to dwell there. Okay, the place where God chooses to make his name dwell. Again, this was the tabernacle, or later the temple, it was wherever God's presence dwelt, hear me, today that, or God's presence is not confined to a church building, okay, I'm not preaching that, but his mission and his presence goes forward through a body of people called the local church, right, it goes forward through that, okay, so I want to ask you a question, if Jesus himself told you to tithe, would you tithe? I hope so, some of you are like, I don't know about that one, that's a hard one, if Jesus himself asked you to tithe, would you do it, did all of you say yes in your hearts? Hopefully, okay, yes. I'm trying to make light of a heavy topic. I know this is heavy. But what's amazing is some of us do have to think about that. Like if Jesus actually said, if that was in the New Testament, Malachi chapter three was in the New Testament, Jesus said that himself, then we'd still have to think about it. And we can stand and worship. We can, can tell the Lord that we'll give him everything. I'll give you everything. I'm available. Here I am, here I am, I'm available. We can do all that. But then we're like, but you can't have 10% of my income. Uh-uh, that's mine. I need that. How goofy is that? It's silly. Think about this in your heart. If the one who bled and died for you and gave you eternal salvation, if he said you ought to tithe, would you do it? What would you like to see it? All right, Matthew 23, verse 23. This is Jesus himself. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin or cumin. I don't know how to say that. I should have looked it up, but... Uh, but they tithe their spices and have neglected the weightier, the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. Okay, you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's saying, you should, yes, tithe, that's good. Thank you for doing that. Right, I think in Jesus' day, the reason he didn't talk about tithing a lot is because everyone did it, right? He's saying, yes, keep doing that. We've established that, the legalistic, you know, kind of legalistic requirement to tithe. Yes, do that, but, but hey, where's your heart at? That's what he's trying to say. Are you walking and justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. That's what he's concerned about here. He, he's not concerned about getting people to tithe. They're already doing that. I mean, you see the story of the woman who gives her very last coin to the temple. She was a poor woman, right? And she gives her very last coin, the last thing she had to live on. She didn't say, I can't afford to give. Instead, she gave everything, right? That was a common thing to give your money to the temple or to 
the place where God's presence dwells. So he wasn't trying to correct that. Instead, he was trying to correct the, ne- the neglecting of justice, mercy, and truth. But he's saying you ought to tithe. You ought to do that. Okay, so I got you there, right? I got you. Case closed. You should tithe. And the only reason I want to get you is because I want to help you. I don't want you to live under the cursed system. I want you to live under an open heaven, and I want you to be blessed. I want you to honor God with your income so he can bless it. This is not prosperity gospel. I'm not saying you give to get. Pastor Derek talked about that last week. Your giving does not earn you riches on earth, okay? If you, if you sow a seed this morning, you're not gonna get a new car after this, okay? That's not gonna happen. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is whenever you give something to God, like whatever that may be, it's blessed. That applies to every area of life. The, blessed, the best place to be is in a place of surrender. And when you surrender your finances to God by practicing the tithe, he blesses you. And he is in a position to provide for you as you've let him into that area. In Jesus' famous sermon on not, on not worrying about food or clothing or shelter, that's in Matthew 6, in, the, in that famous sermon, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things, everything else will be added unto you, the clothing, the shelter, the food, all that stuff will be taken care of if you seek first the kingdom of God. If you seek God first, he takes care of the rest. I've heard two testimonies from people. The first is this, one's from tithers, one's from non-tithers. From tithers, they say, I am blessed, I'm blessed. And the non-tithers say, I can't afford to tithe. And I want to propose to you that you'll never be able to afford to tithe unless you start tithing. Think about it. Tithing, it removes the curse, it rebukes the devourer, and it restores the blessing. Okay, let me say it again. That's a three-part sermon there, all with R's. Okay, so remove the curse, and it rebukes the devourer, and restores the blessing. Until the curse is removed, the devourer is rebuked, and the blessing is restored, you're never going to be able to afford to tithe. Test God and see what happens. He said it, not me. He said, test me in this. And you, and you need to know that if you fail to pass this test, it is personal to God. Tithing is personal. That's the next point. Tithing is personal to God. I want to give you an example. Can I have Ethan, Caleb, and Aaron stand up over here? Come on. These are three good-looking guys right here. Okay, so let's just say I do this, okay? I say, guys, I'm going away for a time. I'm going away for a few months, and I've, I provided for Emily, but I want to do it through you as well. And I want to bless you through this, okay? So I'm going to give you each $10,000, and all I want you to do is give her $1,000 each month, okay? I'm trying to bless you. I want to give you $9,000, but, but give her that $1,000. I've already provided for her. I have her taken care of, but I want to bless her through you, and I want to bless you, okay? So I want to use you in this. Okay, so let's say after three months, I call Emily. I say, hey, how's it going? And I say, how's Ethan doing? And she says, Ethan's doing great. He's giving $1,000 a month. He's very faithful in that. He's been doing really good. And I say, what about Caleb? And she's like, Caleb is pretty awesome. He gives $2,000 a month. He gives 20%. And some people do that. That's a real thing. And I ask her, why is that? She says, I don't know. He just wanted to. He's just excited about it. He was really thankful for the 9000 He wanted to give me an extra 1000 And I said, what about Aaron? And she's like, let's not talk about Aaron. I don't like Aaron. <laughs> the first month, he gave me $700. i am just like, dude, why couldn't you give the extra 300 But anyways, he gave me 700 The second month, he gave 300 and, and now he's not sending anything. Okay, you guys can be seated. I'm picking on Aaron today. Okay, so let's think about this. How would I feel about Aaron? He already failed the test earlier. Now he's failing the tithe test, okay? <laughs> like, how would I feel about Aaron? That's personal to me. That's my bride. I love Emily. That's my wife. I don't have to give them any money, but I was trying to bless them through this. Are you following me? 
I was just asking for 10%, and they could keep 90%. I'll tell you what I will do, though. I'm not sending him any more money. I'm going to take his and give it to Caleb, right, or give it to Ethan. If you don't think Jesus would do that, read the parable of the talents. If he can't bless you with the little, he's not going to bless you with much. And he takes from the one who didn't steward it and gives it to the other. And if you don't think the analogy of, of the bride is true, think about this. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is flawed. It is, okay? So you don't need to debate about that. We hear about scandals all the time in churches, right? Churches abuse money at times. Like, like yes, the church is flawed, but it's still Christ's bride. And that doesn't change. Our fallenness does not change that. The, the church is the bride of Christ, God loves the church dearly, and he's invited you to help take care of her. He doesn't need you to help him, but he's invited you to be a part of it. I'm telling you that tithing is more personal to God than you realize. Okay, now one last thing. Okay, one last thing, and we'll be done. I know this is a heavy topic. God says, you're robbing me. Okay, but God owns everything. How can we rob God? What are we robbing him of? He could just go get some more, right? Is God actually trying to provide for the church with our tithing? Like, does he need us for the church to be provided for? Or is he trying to provide for us and teach us to trust him through our tithing? I want you to think about that. As Derek asked last week, is God struggling to pay the light bill in heaven? Is he struggling with that? No. When you fail to tithe, you're not robbing God of his provision of the church. He's got that covered, but you are robbing him of the opportunity to bless you. Okay, think about Malachi chapter three. Let's think about the context. He says, I wanna bless you. I want to restore Israel. I want to open the windows of heaven over you. I want to bless you, and you are robbing me of that opportunity because you won't do what's ordinary for my people. Tithing is a blessing. Positive note at the end. Tithing is a blessing. Hopefully it's all positive. This is good stuff. Okay, tithing is a blessing. It's not an obligation. It's not a way to get into heaven. It's not a way to get into heaven. Jesus won't love you more or less based on your tithing. Okay, he... He'll love you just the same. And that's what's beautiful about him. He's taken your curse on himself. However, when you don't tithe, you are robbing God of the opportunity to bless you. If you say you can't afford to tithe, I would respond by saying you can't afford not to tithe. God can do more with your 90 than you can do with your 100. Trust him in this and let him bless you. As a bonus, if you can pass this test, I believe that God will use you to do far more than you could ever imagine. I believe he will use you to build the kingdom here in the Cedar Valley and around the world. So notice, both of the students who gave those extravagant gifts this week, they both already tithe. They've always done it. They are both actively serving God's church, and they're discipling others with their time. They give a lot of their time to pour into other people. They are kingdom builders in every single area of their life, not just with money. But I believe it started with tithing. Both of them have been doing it since they started coming to our church. It started with their obedience and trust of God. And you say, hey, I have... I don't have enough, I can't give 10%. Like, like these are college students, right? They're not making a whole lot. As you trust God with your resources and as you give him your first and best, you will experience spiritual and financial breakthrough and he will begin to trust you with more. Before we can actually be generous, we need to be faithful with what God has already asked us to do. And we need to trust God with our tithe and bring it to our storehouse. We need to give back to God what is already his, and then he will bless us in such a way that we can give even more to the kingdom and, and more to kingdom builders because the rest of our finance will be blessed. I'm like, yes, I can give three grand to kingdom builders or whatever God calls you to do. God will remove the curse. He will rebuke the devourer and restore the blessing. And as he does, our church is going to become a kingdom building church. Okay, so the main idea this morning is this. To become kingdom builders, we must trust God with our tithe. 
That's where it starts. We have to pass the test of the tithe. I want to end uh, the sermon today with a story from my own journey with the tithe. Ever since I can remember, my parents ingrained the importance of tithing in my head. I remember when I got my first job shoveling snow for my, de- for my dad's uh, snowplow business when I was 14, I'd get $100 and I'd give 10 to the church. Even when I wasn't really following the Lord later in high school, I was working at Casey's General Store. Get a check for 120 bucks or whatever it was. 12 bucks goes to the church. I got alcohol on my breath. I smoked a doobie the night before, but here's 12 bucks. <laughs> there you go. There, got to laugh. All right. <laughs> you weren't expecting me to say doobie. I don't know why that popped out of my mouth. All right. So <laughs> the point is, I still gave 10% to my church off the top. I don't know if that was faithfulness or just my parents in my head, but I've always done it. You guys thought that was way funnier than I thought you would. I got to laugh finally. All right, so then, all right, later on, when Emily and I started dating and had, you know, big boy and girl bills and, and things were getting kind of more pressure-filled, before it's like you get paid when you're in high school. It's like, yeah, I can buy more fountain pops from Casey. Like, now it's like, okay, I actually got to pay for stuff. In the midst of that, we decided, we said, hey, hey we're always going to tie. That's going to be a part of our lives. And after our sophomore year of college, we decided to get married and moved to Minneapolis so I could pursue ministry training. And leading up to our wedding and our big move, we were pretty worried about finances. We were really, actually really worried about it. It was super unhealthy. And neither of us had jobs lined up. And we were moving to a much more expensive city. And we were leaving full-ride scholarships. I don't say that to brag. I'm just saying we were leaving full-ride scholarships. We had school paid for here at UNI. And not to mention, we were trying to pay for our wedding. And it wasn't a great time of financial blessing in our families at the time. That's all I'll say about that. But we didn't have the money to pay for the wedding. I remember one Sunday when we had tithed at my church, I felt frustrated, I was mad. I knew I was supposed to give, but I was just anxious and I was tired of giving my first 10% to the church, especially because I thought the church had enough money. I was like, they don't need my money. They have nicer stuff than I do. I expressed my frustration to Emily. I can still picture it. We were in Coralville, driving down the road. I'm saying, oh, I'm sick of tithing. And she being the amazing Christian girl that she is, always has been, she rebukes me sternly in that moment. And then I rebuked her back. I'm like, can I ever just be mad about something without you telling me not to be mad? <laughs> you know, so I'm rebuking her for rebuking me. It was a fun time. But, uh, but she was right. And, and we made a commitment. We said we're going to keep tithing. And it was incredible as we watched God move in our finances over the next few years as we continued to tithe. Uh, specifically, it blew our minds. It's just a few months later, an extended family member gave us an unexpected check of $3,000 to help pay for our wedding. God provided for our wedding. We got to do all the things we needed to do. And that was through the generosity of a family member. And then we both got jobs within the first couple of days of moving to Minneapolis. And God provided just enough money every month where, or as we followed his will. And to be honest, we never had extra in that season. We never had extra. But we always had enough. Always had just enough. It was crazy. It's like we had just enough. And I want to add that because of the call to transfer, again, we had to take on a lot of student debt. Like a lot of student debt. I won't even say it was a ton. But we never didn't tie throughout that process of trying to pay back off the loans. And, and we've always given above and beyond emissions. In the midst of that, God has always provided. And as of this week, literally yesterday, I sent in a check for us to become debt-free. That's crazy, yesterday, okay? This is like a seven-year journey. And right before I preach on tithing the first time, God enables us to pay it off. And we still have our mortgage, okay? We're not billionaires or something. Our mortgage, we're still paying our mortgage off. But I'm talking about debt besides our mortgage, right? And that's not through extravagant incomes. We don't make an extravagant amount of money. That's just through doing the right things day after day. I believe when we trust God with 10%, he blesses us 
uh, spiritually speaking, but practically he helps us manage the other 90% better. It helps put money in its proper place. God can do more with 90 than we can do with 10. As we pass this test of tithing, God will provide for us and, in, and he's going to enable us to be a radically generous church that pushes back the gates of hell around the world. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes here with me for a second. And take a moment. It's between you and God. Tithing is very personal, not just to God, but also for you. It's between you and the Lord. And I want you to take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit what he's saying to you. What is God saying to you? You know, some of you, you are tithers and you've been doing it for years. Take this opportunity to thank the Lord that he's rebuked the devourer for you, even when you didn't realize he was doing it. Praise him for that. Thank you, or thank him for giving you the grace to tithe. That's a hard thing to do and he's given you that grace. Some of you, if you're honest, you struggle in this area. Maybe you give a little bit, but if you're honest, you don't really practice the tithe. And Satan has been lying to you. He, he desperately does not want you out from under the cursed way of living. He, he does not want the windows of heaven to be opened over you. He tells you that's Old Testament, that's under the law, and all these other things to try to keep you from trusting God with your finances. No matter what you're going through, we want to pray for you today. So the prayer team's going to come. They're going to be available by the baptismal tank up here. If you need prayer, as we sing the last song, I want to encourage you to come up and worship or come up and receive prayer. But the practice this week is very simple. Ask the Lord to give you the grace to honor him in this area. Have a time of prayer and ask God to help you in this area. This is a supernatural thing. Tithing is a supernatural thing. Ask him to help you trust him. And then make a commitment to do whatever he tells you to do. If you think the church wants your money, I'm being 100% honest with you. I'd rather have you keep it. Please just keep it. All I want you to know is we love you, okay? So don't give because you think we want your money. But if the Lord is asking you to trust in this area, I would encourage you to begin doing that, okay? So I want to pray for you quick and then we'll have a time of worship. Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence together. God, I thank you for the grace to tackle a controversial topic and, and to receive it with an open heart. God, I pray that you would just move in the hearts of every one of our people today, every person. God, I pray that you'd help us to trust you. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. Seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be added unto you. God, help us to trust you. Do a supernatural thing in our hearts. God, God, remove any strongholds in our life, whether that be tithing or something else. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.